Hello, and welcome to the Has Media Podcast, where I invite on interesting guests, and I pick things that are interesting about them, and I ask them to talk about it. So information that isn't public knowledge. So people that would have a lot of specific information, for example, politicians who've been in the game 10, 20, 30 years, or professors who've, who are experts in a certain topic, or business people or artists or whatever, people who are experts in their field, and I try and extract the, what they know about, about anything really, about what, what the areas where they're experts. I also try and find points where I admire them. You know, they can have a great relationship with their family. They can be very successful in their career. And I try and tease out, you know, what are they doing? What are they doing? And very importantly, what are they not doing that makes them so successful? So that's pretty much the point of this podcast. And it's also, I think, quite interesting. This episode is sponsored by the Has Media YouTube channel, where I try and answer very specific questions, questions that cannot be answered with one viewpoint, which is all you're getting with a podcast. Questions that can't be truly answered and understood without the use of graphs and pictures and video animations. So that's what our YouTube channel is. And it includes videos such as why insurance is so expensive in Ireland, the causes of our property bubble in 2008 and 2009. So if that interests you, check us out on YouTube as media. This episode I actually recorded for the Trinity Ability Co-op podcast, which is a student's disability rights group within Trinity and they've kindly allowed me to upload it here. In this episode, I sat down with Laura Bestin. Laura Bestin is a Trinity graduate of English and Film. They held the role of officer for students with disabilities in the Trinity Students' Union for two years, before later becoming the Trinity College Dublin Student Union President for 2019 and 2020. Bestin is a passionate activist who has led a variety of campaigns throughout their time as a Trinity student and was actually named the Union of Students in Ireland Student Activist of the Year in 2017. Some of you may remember the Take Back Trinity campaign, which was, looking back, it's kind of ridiculous. Trinity were going to introduce a 400 euro fee for every exam you had to reset. Bestin led the campaign to remove those, which was ultimately successful. Bestin, it would be wrong to call her a activist for students with disabilities or for a disability rights activist because they're involved in so much more and you can really see that in the interview Bestin really understands the intersectionality of for example we talk about how men's mental health and how improved men's mental health helps all members of society not just men and they know that because Bestin is involved in a wide range of campaigns for refugees, for homeless people, I could go on and on. So that's what gives best in the understanding of intersectionality, which is something that if you've never heard, I actually didn't really understand it until before this interview, and Bestin does a great job explaining it. So without further ado, here is the episode. Thanks for sitting down with me today. No problem at all. Thank you. <laughs> and um, we'll start off. We'll start off. We're coming up to the end of November. So I'd like to talk to you about Movember and as a disability rights activist. Well, you're kind of not just you're more than a disability rights activist. You're kind of an activist in all regards. I'd just like to touch on how supporting Movember and the men's mental health 
the men's mental health movement is actually beneficial not just to men but to women to all parts of society yeah um i think that movember you know it's a great concept and the one thing even you know in my time in trinity i saw you know how how much social media and the internet and things like this advanced and it's fantastic in some ways but there's a we have to be careful if something becomes too simplified or if it becomes too one dimensional and i think it's fantastic i'm delighted to see so many lads talking about their emotions and it's honestly such a warming thing to have gone to college and see young men talking about their feelings and talking about their mental health and the issues that they face and you know how they tie into and how they are affected sometimes by maybe like you know um different areas of maybe abuse or violence or different things that we wouldn't have thought of and people are just being challenged of the, the areas that they mightn't have considered but i think that sometimes when we try and look at something from one perspective it can get a little bit simplified and maybe complicated aspects such as that you know sometimes i think that like the polarization of the genders that's kind of happening at the moment can be really complicated because you'll have this situation where you know men are saying whatever is going on but we're not paying attention to the nuances of some of the men's issues to so say we have you know financial inequality has such a huge part to play in that so i know that some people would be really upset with being told to just ask for help because a lot of lower income men have asked for help and have found that it's not there or they're putting on a waiting list so my first thing is that obviously it's it's more complicated and and a diverse kind of area than we sometimes let it be seen in our heads or sometimes you know it's very easy to see an infographic and see something as the infographic rather than this layered and textured thing that's going on and yeah i think it's really like i remember i was at a usi congress one year and we had a motion come up on male mental health and it was just so you know truthful to see so many different people of different genders of different backgrounds of different experiences all getting up and saying how this is affecting them and why they care so much about male mental health being on the agenda of USI and you know in the background as well there were people who were upset and those were people of all genders and all experiences and backgrounds and that's the thing i think when a tragedy happens it affects everyone and with social media and with the rise in maybe like having an identity sometimes i think people can be you know they don't mean to and by having this identity it can be an empowering thing but by seeing that in opposition to other identities can be really damaging and i'd say the disabled community have seen that in many ways even in the pandemic we see that played out you know people are worried about different concerns that they have but by prioritizing that they can sometimes hurt a disabled person's you know concerns and the issues that are important to them. So I think by coming together, you know, we we see this, even around like say things like the World Cup we see rises in domestic violence. At the root of that is often very hurt people who don't have access to mental health services or social services that let them challenge why they're doing that or just you know various different areas of life different things happen say we we as a country have an issue with you know alcohol problems and it's something that maybe doesn't get talked about as much but it's equally as much a part of the male mental health and the, and should be a part of the november discussion and i think the more we're willing to admit the issues we have and the more we're willing to say this is this is the complexity of male mental health it's it can impact us negatively in these ways it can impact other people negatively in these ways and where do we find equity because finding equity in in services and various services so someone might only need therapy like just for a couple of times to work through something really difficult someone might need it for their life and that is totally okay 
but it's, it's important that when we're coming together and speaking about Movember and doing things for Movember, that, you know, we're aware of what are the approaches we are doing. And yes, it, it's good to do something now, but how is that going to play out in the future as well? So are we making sure that we're considering, you know, our trans brothers and when we have discussions about Movember, are we considering, you know, our non-binary siblings and this the whole conversation and what are we doing to make sure that everyone is provided space in this that is affected by this and that whatever we're doing to to better society or better what's going on in life that we consider everyone who's impacted by that so yeah I, I think there's there's a lot of options for intersectionality through that and it's a great way of looking at society as well because once you start having these these thought processes and these conversations you can't help but keep having them <laughs> And you mentioned intersectionality. Could you define that? It, for me, I think intersectionality is just widening our perspectives to think of everyone that should be in the room. And I think that particularly for me, like when I started off as you know disability officer, sometimes I would be the only person in a room who'd be talking about disability. I know one time when I was president, there was a, a building project that I was at a meeting for and someone had mentioned an area that wouldn't be accessible and they said that that was fine because only staff would be using it. But it's silly to think that our staff won't be disabled, particularly because I think it's about 50% of all disabilities that exist are acquired over your lifetime. So to assume that your staff wouldn't be disabled is to ignore that fact and that statistic. So intersectionality is acknowledging our lack um, and I think that's this, it's so important in this, the, the world that we live in at the moment is it's completely fine to say, I don't know enough about X topic. I don't know enough or I don't have enough experiences. We clearly need to bring in a specialist. And I think this is something I'm really enjoying seeing in the disabled community at the moment is there is such a push for disabled consultants and disabled people to be involved in discussions and and you know developments that are taking place in businesses and um, processes and campaigns because no one knows better than the person themselves and I think the more we acknowledge what we lack the more we'll be able to create that intersectionality of you know I, I, I don't know enough about you know what could it be accessibility even on a college I don't know enough about accessibility so we're bringing in disabled students and various disabled students who have various disabilities creates an area where we're now not only addressing the immediate concerns but we're probably also mitigating issues that are happening into the future as well so intersectionality it isn't just this buzzword that's about campaigning and activism it can be used in your very life just to be able to interact with the immediate people around you because that's another thing. Our life is intersectional. We don't get to pick who we, you know, not all the time, get to pick who we move in beside, you know, in college, you'll get assigned a room and whoever's beside you is beside you. And it's the same with life and it's the same with jobs and it's it's society as a whole. We, we will always interact with other people. And in a really, a world that's becoming more multinational, we kind of just have to get on board with that. But it's also important that you know, our organizations like colleges or governments and things like that and businesses are all aware of how to do this. And intersectionality can be a great opportunity for, for improvement, but also just everyone's experience is better. And even everyone's, you know, involvement, even the people providing services or providing campaigns or supports or whatever it is, are having a better time because they know they're not excluding people and they can see the benefit of being able to cater towards that person that had previously been ignored yeah and it's something that <clears throat> people were not designed to do you know like we've probably if you were to go back you know maybe fifty thousand years like for mil like about two million years 
we lived in tribes of what, 100, 150 people. And now in the past 10, 20,000 years, 50,000 years, we've been living in empires, you know, and kingdoms. And we're not just in our own tribe of 100 or so people who are all somewhat related to. You're living with people that come from other parts of the world, you know, completely different life experiences. So it does take a bit of conscious, deliberate effort to kind of realize, yeah, okay, the world's a lot bigger. Um, and I don't know everything. I don't know everything about everyone. So you, you kind of have to acknowledge that there's so much that you don't know. And um, yeah, I think it is that just acknowledging how much you don't know, how, how you need like these disability consultants and these other people with other experiences. And I think that would be, that's harder, I think, for people like me and you, Laura, who come from the countryside, who grow up in small societies and small communities. And you're not used to thinking about like, oh, someone might need to use this who's blind or who's deaf or so many other disabilities that people you've never met in your life, you know? I think people in mm -hmm. the city have an easier time with that because they've grown up with more intersectionality. I'd like to talk to you about your experience, you know, coming from, it's Mayo, isn't it? You're from Mayo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so coming from Mayo and then coming to Trinity and how that sort of opened up your mind to intersectionality. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I had some great experiences at home and I was really lucky to get to meet some really open-minded people. But And it's not their fault, but they, they were constantly having to battle with other perceptions of themselves. You know, the people around me who were good people sometimes maybe said, oh, well, I know I'm poor, but, you know, I, I'll work hard. Within late capitalism, listen, we, we don't need to work hard as long as you're doing what you, you're, you're, you're meant to be doing or you're, you're trying to do. It's OK. You don't have to go above and beyond. You don't have to pull yourself out of your situation. And the government is meant to look after you and society is meant to look after you. So I think, you know, I see things like that where people were trying to make excuses not because they felt they had to, but because people around them made them feel they had to. And I think that's something maybe a lot of rural students would feel more is if you're lower income in particular, I think there's kind of a tension between the middle class and the lower class in rural Ireland. And sometimes you have these unconscious biases and it's it's trying to get through being in rural Ireland and, you know, navigate maybe the shame you feel sometimes about maybe needing social welfare or different things like that. I just found it really fascinating to watch. And then as I came to Trinity, I just found it so liberating to finally not be confined by what does X think or what does Y think or, you know, oh my goodness, I can't believe I used to think this. I can't believe I used to believe that or this. And it was so nice to just it wasn't even about people around me. And I think this is something I really, I know some people have an idea of me and who I am and they think I'm very, you know, shouty, shouty and giving outy. But ultimately, if people were able to just change their mindsets, the greatest thing that can happen is you're becoming so much kinder to yourself. I hear so many people now that I've worked through a lot of that stuff that came with me from rural Ireland and I'll listen to them speak and deep in my heart I just think I feel so sorry for you that you you think these things and it might be about body image or it might be about sexuality or it might be about gender and they're just so confined and almost stressed and worked up by these things they've set in their head and I guess you know we don't realize we're doing it until we're constantly confronted by it and by coming to college I just wanted to learn and I think that's something that I'm very lucky to have is I just love talking to people and I love learning from other people's experiences so I remember even the first night out I went on in Dublin, I'd moved into halls and there's a thing called Freshers Weekend in the JCR run. 
and it was the Friday night and I walk in the nightclub and I see two boys kissing. And now as I've come out as a lesbian, I know that that moment was so important for me because I actually, I just saw it out of the corner of my eye, didn't really notice it. I stopped, I turned, I nearly started crying and I didn't realize why. I thought, you big weirdo, what is wrong with you? But from, I knew that I was realizing that this could never happen at home or if it did, there'd be a bunch of people laughing or joking. And I hope that people have changed. And I think that, you know, the marriage equality referendum, I also have to keep in mind, I came to college immediately after that. And as good as some things that happened from that, sometimes I heard and learned how certain people within my community were like viewing people like me. And I didn't really understand who I was. So that was quite difficult. But to then come into Trinity and see that, and to see so many people so comfortable about being gay and maybe we all had a bit of difficulty or struggle in getting up to Trinity or to college. But to finally have that moment of, I'm not alone. I could be this and that's an okay thing and it's not weird and you're not a freak. And I think, you know, there is a lot of fear of the other in rural Ireland of being the odd one out or, oh, he's a queer fella there. You know, <laughs> someone's known for, for having different opinions or, or being a bit different, but... I mean, ultimately as well, I was very different at home and it was always kind of noticed in school. And I think it prepared me very well because, and sometimes I think people might not necessarily know that about me, but when I came up here, you know, I was very excited to make friends, but I had an innate understanding of what it felt like to be isolated and excluded out of conditions and, you know, circumstances that were in no ways your fault. So I always, you know, I think that's how I was drawn to disability, but it was also so lovely, I think, you know, from that community. And the, the, the disabled community of activists was quite small when I first started out. Like when we go to the odd USI thing, I'm still friends with many of them who, who would have been at those events. But we really have helped each other. It was really lovely. The amount of things I know I've learned from, say, Marin O'Sullivan or Alana Murray. Like there, there are some really great people who also have intersectional identities and helped me work through maybe some of the biases and things I didn't know I had. So they might mention something about oh, being able to access, you know, light life in their wheelchair. And obviously I'm able-bodied, so I'm thinking, oh, yes, I need to be aware of, of this now. Even in our own personal discussions, you challenge yourself so much more um, by, by learning about the struggles of others in your community. But then Trinity just had this great, you know, the, the SU has so many campaigns and there's so many people even outside of the SU who just work on their own things. You're constantly having these opportunities to challenge what you think you know. And for me, a lot of it was having personal discussions with people. Like I would go maybe out to the pub after an SU council and I'd end up chatting to someone, you know, even like uh, you might be a mature student and you're learning about their struggles or you're learning about maybe like when repeal happened, I'm learning about the, the intersections of how, you know, healthcare during pregnancy or, or you know, um, reproductive healthcare is so important to us. And to the different things that play into that, you know, you might consider the health aspects of it on someone who might be deaf or, you know, someone who has a, you know, a physical disability. There's all these different areas of it. And I think sometimes we just get lost in the polarization, as I said, again, I'm like, you know, social media is added to this. It's, oh, you, you think this, or you're painting me out to be whatever. But if we're all able to just admit, yes, everything has an impact on us. Like I, I remember reading this really fascinating um, paper as part of my dissertation last year. And it was on like kind of this time-space relation. It's by Doreen Massey, is, she's a geographer. And I think it's so fascinating because it, it, it completely describes how time and, uh, or how places can never really be isolated. 
And I think there's a great point you made there about cities and urban spaces is that because there's such a crossover of experience, let's say a lot of our cities in particular in Ireland would be around ports and a lot of transport. So you constantly have different types of people coming through there if they're visiting or people might migrate and just stay there rather than moving out of it and then there's more services. So even I would have said this to maybe some working class people from Dublin, I would have found that maybe there's more conservatism within where I've come from but their parents sometimes are more willing to change and to see things from a different perspective because they've always had to, because they're in that urban space. And Trinity kind of works a little bit like that too. You're having this mix of international students. So we get a really, you know, get a grasp of certain issues that are going on. I know when I was president, there was, you know, the, the wildfires in Australia and we had students contacting us about that. There was there was um, some unrest in India as well. I think something happened there at the same time. There's a lot of different things going on and our, our connectivity to the global community through those students is so important as well because we can learn so much more about issues that maybe we have a simplistic view of. Um, and I know that like, you know, we're Irish, we're Western. I know that growing up, you know, the images we saw of the Middle East were not the best and they, they weren't reflective of what the experience of what it's like to be a Middle Eastern person or the complexity of those issues and how Middle Eastern people are being negatively affected by those issues. I think it was really nice to get a speech to students like that and to get to learn, like even I'm a Catholic, to learn about different religions. Like I know I'd gone to an event with the Jewish society before and I thought it was so great. Like I just loved it. It was such a nice experience. So it's even, it's not just oh, do I have to sit down with a book and do I have to go to a talk and do I have to learn all these things and be bored? It's like, I suspect I have ADHD. My attention is not the best. So it's about how, how do I find as many different places that I can learn and challenge what I think and what I know while just using what's around me. There's, you know, how many societies do we have in Trinity? How many different fascinating conversations are taking place in a, on one evening? So many, I've been to some of them and, you know, even things like, say, the Afro-Caribbean Society, I went to an event or two that they ran, and, and that was such an eye-opening, uh, you know, experience, and going to, to that event with the Jewish Society, and sometimes going to hear the fill or the hist and hearing different people's opinions on a debate. Sometimes I'd agree, sometimes I'd, I'd be like, what are you on about? I, I don't agree with that whatsoever, but it's good because it challenges you, and it also helps you understand what other people are thinking. Because I think, like, for me, I, I, I was a campaigner always was a campaigner and that's why I ran to be president because the president is head of campaigns and for me campaigns is equally as much about changing people's minds as it also is understanding where are they coming from and what is their mindset and when we're honest about that we can change minds a lot more effectively and I think that's it by understanding where we come from and understanding maybe the biases that it's, it's not anyone's fault it's it's the society you grow up in and it's it's very it is hard to say, no, that's wrong, or no, I don't agree with you there. So sometimes you just say, oh, I'll let it go. And sometimes then that can end up, you know, seeping into your mind a little bit. It's not your fault, you don't mean to. But when we understand where people are coming from in terms of that, we can really help them get to a place where not only are they, you know, more sympathetic to their fellow student, to, to others within their community, but they're also so much kinder to themselves. And that's what's really lovely to see is like these these people who are really liberated from thoughts and biases that they had in the past. That's a really interesting point about how, you know, you treat others the same way you treat yourself. So anyone who is mean to other people, they're, they're being mean to themselves and how being, and if, I, if I understood you right, how being open-minded can help you be more open-minded to yourself, you know, and more loving to yourself, understanding of yourself, which is yeah. an interesting point. Could you, could you walk me through your journey with that and how that like, and, 
if you wouldn't mind speaking about your disability, as this is a disability podcast and there is a, a lot of people listening who will be, who have a disability and who are, I was interested in what you mentioned to me before the start of this, how your relation with your disability, it's changed. It's not mm-hmm. like, it's not static. How you were saying like, oh, like, oh, you have, like my example, oh, you have autism, so you are this, 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 and how that's not the case um, in your experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you, that that is a kind of relevant point there as well is, is, you know, there are, our disabilities have certain, you know, things that they cause maybe within our brain, within our bodies, how they manifest in different people can be completely different. So like, you know, the, the, I've met many different autistic people who present autism in many different ways, equally as much as, you know, I think I have ADHD and I have many friends who I think of ADHD or once have be diagnosed and we all look and act so different. And that is, you know, even understanding that is so important if you're not yet diagnosed with a disability or you've only just been diagnosed and you're like, why don't I look or act like these other people? That's completely fine. Um, and for me, I, when I was diagnosed with my disability, I was in leaving search. So I was having a lot of um, problems with my mental health and I got to see a psychiatrist and a psychologist through the HSE and they diagnosed me with anxiety and depression. And I'm really glad that that happened because I did get my DARE application. I would never have been able to come to Trinity without the DARE program and I'm so grateful for it. Um, And to be honest with you, coming through the DARE program really pushed me to go down the route of disability activism and advocacy. Um, I been a carer for my sister since I was 12 years old so what's kind of funny as well is that I had I'd been involved in working with intellectually disabled you know young people and adults all my life so disabled people are very just oh people are disabled that's fine I understand that I will say I had some biases and I'm really glad I got to be part of the disabled community within college because it made me address areas that I wasn't aware of, of biases but it did give me a passion to, to tackle inequality, you know, financial inequality within the disabled community. And, you know, I, I'd been a carer, so I was really aware of the fact that sometimes when people aren't given the proper conditions to care or support for um, their disabled family members or friends, that things can also become complicated. So I was very passionate about helping out. And then through the DARE orientation, I just noticed how embarrassed so many people were about the fact that we'd come through DARE. And... You know, I, I, even in, in halls in first year, I spotted that people who came through TAP and HERE were far more likely to say it than people who came through DARE. So when I ran for disability officer in second year, the most important thing to me, I was like, there needs to be a disabled community. And that was equally as much myself knowing and acknowledging that I felt uncomfortable saying I had a disability. And yeah, and even I, at the time I was saying, you know, a, a person with a disability Whereas now I realize that I've, I've learned about the social model and that it's, you know, disabled person isn't a, a negative term or a bad thing to say. It's that society is disabling us. And I will not stop calling myself a disabled person until society stops disabling all of my community, which probably won't happen in my lifetime. So I'm just going to keep using the word. Now, if the community decides they have other things that, that, that reflect how they feel better, I will always make sure to change my language. But um, yeah, for me, for my disability, I guess, I, I'd lost my father to, to suicide just before I started first year. So that had a huge impact on me. And when I came to college, it was just kind of trying to keep my head afloat, essentially. And looking back, I know that I struggled a lot with it. Um, and, I, you know, I was very lucky to have access to supports as being registered with the disability service and having access to student counselling. But 
it did get in the way of maybe me realizing the areas I was struggling with because I did struggle a lot with my study by the time I reached TY and it was really frustrating because I I love learning and I'm so fascinated and everything so to not be able to perform well was very stressful for me and when I came to college I, I admit I thought I was stupid like I just genuinely thought I wasn't good at studying or learning and that you know kind of distraction and kind of mental blip for me in first year definitely stopped me from maybe paying more attention to that but I was really well I suppose lucky and unlucky in some ways by the time I was in third year I got very unwell and just wasn't really able to sleep I wasn't able to eat um I now understand that as I think just either like both in a sensory sense and in terms of stress my body just couldn't take what I was going through anymore but it was a very scary time I lost like four stone over that period of a period of about a year I was on a waiting list for about a year and a half I you know I really needed help desperately and everywhere that I turned to get it I wasn't able to get it and it wasn't the fault of the people there but they didn't have the services of the sports that I clearly needed and for me that's always been a really important part of why I advocate you know for for disabled people and for services and things like that is because I understand the impact of you know not funding the healthcare system or not funding certain services it has a devastating impact on people when they're like that and it had a huge like it was was a physical issue but it had a huge mental toll on me because I wasn't sleeping and I was you know it's very scary to have an issue with your body and not be able to solve it so you know I found a lot of solace within the chronically ill disabled community at that time or the chronically disabled community as well and I just found that a lot of these people you know were going through similar struggles to myself but it pushed me to to challenge what was going on. And I I found that there were these repeated patterns of behavior. And even this this is so important, like anyone who's diagnosed younger and particularly in a system that isn't necessarily robust or has all the necessary services and supports, maybe you, you know, it's totally okay to accept that maybe one part of my diagnosis is right, but I feel like maybe this is wrong. It's totally okay to feel like maybe you've identified something yourself that might be a disability. And it's particularly important that we understand our disabilities. And that's that's a huge thing that I think, you know, a lot of people don't realize that disabled people deserve the right to understand their disability and what works best for them. Even, you know, as we said there, like disability manifests differently in different people. Different people respond to different things. So I know if you sat me and somebody else with ADHD down, we, we both could work in very different ways. And if you try to get one of us to work like the other, it would not give the same results or positive results. So, um, yeah, I think coming out of that, that space, I, I was just very passionate about n- not necessarily fixing, but, but finding ways of doing things that finally worked for me. So even while I was president, I, I just wanted to serve 18,000 people as best as I could. I did not have a lid on this issue. Like it was, it was maintained and my stomach was left, you know, she'll be okay. But we hadn't gotten to the root of it and it was an incredibly stressful time. So funnily enough, throughout that, by wanting to make sure I did the best of my job that I could, I ended up creating all these coping mechanisms and all these things that worked with my ADHD. So then, you know, as, as I came out of that year, I said, I really want to do a lot more research on ADHD because I really feel like I have it. And by going through a lot of, you know, research papers and journals and different things like that, and then reading lots of different blogs and looking at, again, how does it manifest and looking online and then social media and seeing different people and how it manifests in them and maybe looking at different intersections. Obviously, I'm a lesbian, so I might have a different experience to a straight person. And it's just interesting to be able to find this information. You know, I'm so grateful to just how much the disabled community have taken it upon ourselves to educate each other 
and support each other. Like I think what is happening in social media and online at the moment is revolutionary. And we, you see it, like there's so many more people being diagnosed with you know, neurodivergent um, disabilities, but there's also other disabilities that are becoming more commonly um, diagnosed as well. And even there'd be um, baby reproductive um, health issues as well, things like that. You know, there's various health issues I've noticed in particular that are being diagnosed with a much higher frequency. And it's fantastic to see because everyone deserves to understand their disability or their illness and how to live with that. And then also they deserve access to supports and services. So for me, myself, I'm looking into private diagnosis. Um, I've just accepted that the HSE is not a route that will be acceptable for me. Um, and it is quite hard to get diagnosis on it. So I, I'm just looking into that. I'm working with at my own time, but I'm doing that because the end goal for me is a diagnosis shows me that I can I can get services, I can get supports if needed, I can even get medication that I need, but that's my right as, as a person with this disability. And I think even it's, it's driven by like, you know, my my dad had a very complicated situation and he was mentally ill and, you know, he, he, he had disabilities as a part, you know, those, those mental illnesses are, are, are disabilities. And I know that maybe he wasn't diagnosed correctly, or maybe not every service was provided that needed to. And I know that he was failed by a lack of being able to provide space when, when he needed space to be, you know, cared for and looked after so you know even for myself I'm like I, I owe it to him to, to to do this for myself I'm not demanding too much by asking for support and services but it's also for for all of us we all just deserve it regardless of what our experience or where we've come from we all deserve to be able to navigate life and not have our dis or try have our disability impact us as little as possible because it will always be there and it's part of who we are but when it really starts to negatively impact us that's when inequality happens. And like, you know, I've seen so many times people who just can't do their exams or are struggling with class. That's not fair and that's not right. And everyone deserves the chance to exceed and perform to the best of their ability. And shout out to the disability service. They definitely helped me get there in the end. I say that I know I'm not stupid and I am very happy about learning. And I think particularly my last year in college was fantastic. I just got to learn so much more because I understood where I was coming from. Very interesting, the point you made that you yourself as the student, as the officer for students with disabilities in Trinity and a disability rights activist, you're still coming to terms with your disability and still trying to understand it, which speaks to how it's a, it's a, it's a lifelong thing, you know, trying to, <laughs> trying to know yourself, know thyself, as it says in the Bible. I'm conscious of the fact that you were on your lunch break and you've very kindly given up your time to us here today. So we'll finish off with a rapid fire uh, des desert island discs. So Ooh, you can bring, you, can, you can bring five things onto a desert island with you. What are they? Five things. And some people bring portable chargers. Some people bring water. Some people bring um, legally blonde and a TV. And so five things on a desert island. Assuming you have an outlet. You have an outlet you can plug stuff in if it needs be. Um, well, I, I definitely have to bring either a laptop or a tablet. Couldn't get, get through without my movies. Okay. So I think that's... Um, Oh my God, I, could, could I count my bag of skincare as one thing? <laughs> okay, okay, well, Not we'll leave you off on a technicality. Um, oh, I'm such a simple person, a bed or like a mattress. A I mattress, okay. <laughs> Five things. A skillet, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just got food. If I wasn't able to eat cup food, I would be so annoyed. Honestly, okay. like my, my needs are simple. Um... What else? 
or I just a load of chocolates. A lot of chocolate. Okay, good call. So you got your bag of skincare, your bed, your laptop, and your skillet. I'm such a millennial cross Gen Z, you can tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. Some people bring some people bring weird stuff, man. Some people bring like some people bring like a bottle of water in case you get thirsty. I mean, like you can bring one thing, like you know, like bring a gallon of water, you know, but whatever. Anyway, look, and uh, one thing actually is there quickly is there any resources people could use to um, <clears throat> learn more about their own disability? Um, honestly, there's a really interesting hashtag called I don't know, maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. Net is void. So it's N-E-I-S-V-O-I-D. And if you put that in, it's really fascinating to understand how disabilities affect people. So it's like, it's kind of like people um, tweet when they're disabled, but you will find, so say if you suspect you might have something, it's really interesting to follow people who specialize in certain areas. So for me, I would have followed, I think it's a Renee Brooks, Black Girl, Lost Keys, um, ADHD Alien, um oh there's Rachel I can't remember her second name she's in she's based in the UK there's a good few people but I like I particularly try and like to like keep it diverse so I'll follow people of color and different things like that to be able to figure out even just in, if I do keep continue advocating I want to make sure that I'm considering the intersections of how is this affecting you or is there like working class people who are talking about disability as well um as something to be aware of don't compare yourself to other people as well if you're conditions and situations aren't similar the way it's manifesting might be very different as well um and that's something to be aware of and just in general i think i, I think the film crip camp was really really good and i think it, it raised a lot of very interesting points and i i found it just really emotional watching it because that was kind of how i was raised with my sister Eva and the disabled people were that were around us so i think it's really good for seeing maybe how we could move forward with the disabled community and i think everyone needs to understand where the disability movement came from like that movement was so big getting the ada passed was huge and those people we, we we still have them and i think it's so important that you know they, they got so much traction at the oscars and the grammys and different things like that but they we need to listen to those people and we need to you know take lessons from what's happened then because i feel like we're going through a resurgence now with covid and and the various things that are happening you know and that, that, that it's a, a disproportionately affecting disabled people um but i think that definitely between that and then this push for diversity and inclusion within wider society we have a very exciting moment with disability. So yes, if you can definitely go ahead, try and understand if you suspect something, get it checked out. Like you deserve that. But also let's keep an eye on each other and see what we need to do to improve each other's lives as well. That movie was was a Crip Camp? Crip Camp, yeah. It was really good. It was it's a documentary and it was came, came out in 2020, I think. I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's a really great film. It's um it's really good. It's just about a group of people who used to go to this summer camp that was run by disabled people for disabled people. And it, like a lot of people would have been said to maybe conservative ones before that. So a lot of people would know each other from maybe haven't gone to the conservative camp, but now they're at this one and it was just everyone would help look after each other. And it was it's it's just about coming together as a disabled community. Um, and then I think there's another show as well called Special by Ryan O'Connell. It's about a guy with cerebral palsy. It's written by Paul O'Connell or Ryan O'Connell and he stars in it as well. And I just think it is 
so beautiful. It's 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 a complete celebration of intersectionality and disability. And it you know it talks about things as in like the first time that you know Ryan has sex or different things like that. You know, there's so many different things that we wouldn't think about that are shown in the show and the relationship between your carer when they're a parent and how you want to have your own independence and assert your own independence and autonomy. There's a lot of great art out there at the moment that kind of reflects that. So as well, it doesn't have to be a book or a really long journal or paper. It can be <laughs> something fun as well. Okay, well, look, Laura, we'll leave you there. We'll let you maybe grab a bite to eat before you go back to work. Thanks <laughs> Thank a million. You're a star. Thank you. Have a lovely day. That's the episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, be sure to give me a rating and a follow on whatever platform you're listening to this on, whether it be Spotify or bloody like 100 other ones. But yeah, that would really help me starting out. If you have any recommendations or you'd like to follow along with this podcast and keep up to date with what's going on, the podcast i'm on my personal youtube channel you can find me on pretty much any social media so instagram twitter facebook you name it it's um if you go into the show notes of this they'll find a link to my link tree and that has about 10 links to all my socials you'll find me at has media it's my name on everything has media or has media.official so yeah i'm on tiktok even so get on that and yeah see you later